Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Here we go again. Hey, folks, and welcome to the Sunday podcast. This is the Miller Frost Show. I am your host, Miller Frost, joined, as always, by my fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. And I hope everyone out there is having a grand gay old time this weekend. I know you queens out there are still celebrating Pride. And I know that I screwed up and said that San Diego Pride was in September. No. It is actually, folks, it is actually going on right now in July. And I don't know how I got that so screwed up, but uh, I was texting with a friend of mine. They have invited me out to an event in San Diego at the end of August. And so I'm going to fly out to, to L.A. and visit some friends there and then drive down to San Diego to attend this event. But as I was texting him, I was like, damn it, I am going to miss Gay Pride by a couple of days. And he's like, no, you idiot. He didn't actually say, you idiot, but it was implied in the text. But he was like, no, Gay Pride in San Diego is actually in July. And I was like, well, when did that change? And he's like, it's always been that way, you idiot. Again, folks, he did not actually have to say, you idiot. But he thinks it's in L.A. or Long Beach. Those queens in Southern California, that June Pride is just not enough for those girls. They have to do, they have to do separate prides all summer. So you've got San Diego in July. Long Beach does one, L.A. does one, and I'm sure there are a couple others thrown in the mix, but those girls in Southern California, they know how to party. Not that I am judging. Way past my time to do that, but you girls have fun if that's what you want to do. So let's go ahead and jump into the podcast, folks, and as we've been doing the last couple times, we are going to start off with some news headlines. This first one is from Blaze Media. We must stop calling food exotic since word is rooted in white dominance, colonialism, and reinforces xenophobia and racism, food writer says. And what this covers, folks, is G. Daniela Galarza, and she is a staff writer over at the Washington Post in their food section. And this stupid chick is yapping, yap, 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 about woke in the food section of Jeff Bezos' pet newspaper. And I've joked about this in the past. Have I not, White by Malcolm X? And that is rhetorical, so don't even bother to answer. I have actually joked about this in the past, talking about the Boston Globe, because they're the exact same way. Everything is about race to the Boston Globe. And it doesn't matter, folks, if it's the food section or the auto section or the real estate section. 
Those folks will find a way to inject race into anything and everything they can. And this stupid chick over at the Washington Post, you can't use the word exotic now, apparently, because that is racist, just like everything else is racist. So white boy Malcolm X, please, sir, please open up the Excel spreadsheet and under Rotunda and under the American flag, please put the word exotic. You are not allowed to use that word anymore, folks. No more. It is racist. And did I tell you, white boy Malcolm X, did I tell you the grandfather story? No, no, not the news article. We covered that. I think it was on one of our first podcasts back last fall, but... I was actually talking to someone, folks. True story, I swear to God. And I was talking to this guy, and I used the word grandfather. And this clown, of course, of course this idiot is a stupid millennial. And he says, well, I don't know if you're aware, but the use of the word grandfather can be considered racist. And I, of course, played dumb. I'm like, oh, really? It is? He's like, oh, yes. Now, I don't think you're a racist, but I just wanted to let you know that Using that word can be considered racist. And you folks, I'm sure, already know what the first thing that popped into my head was. You can go blank yourself. But in today's polite society, I just, I just kept my mouth shut. I'm like, okay, well, thank you, I guess. I mean, what do you say to something like that these days? You can't really say anything without getting spanked. But I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I just went on with it, folks. Sometimes you just have to pick your battles. And that was not the hill I wanted to die on. But I'm thinking about it the next time, just saying, you know what, go blank yourself if you think I'm a racist over the use of the word grandfathered of all stupid things. This next one is from Pink News. Those girls over at Pink News. There hasn't been a single trans character in a major Hollywood film in four years. I feel like a broken record, White Boy Malcolm X. You girls over at Pink News. You have got to know, what have I been saying about those fake liberals in Hollywood? They really don't give a crap, folks, about what is on that screen as long as it makes them money. They are all about the Benjamins. For Christmas sakes, seriously, they really don't care. They just want to make huge bank on whatever crap they happen to put out. But these girls over at Pink News are a little butthurt that there are no trans characters in a movie. And I have actually got a couple of points on this. Number one, what is the point? Why would people need to go to the movies to see someone who is transgender? Let's face it, folks. For one half of 1% of the population, these folks have a huge influence in the culture. You cannot open any paper in this country these days or go onto any news website with there not being a story about someone who is transgender. You can't avoid it, folks, even if you try. The only way to avoid having to deal with a news story that doesn't involve a transgender is to actually unplug the internet from your house. It's not going to happen otherwise. So I don't know why everyone is upset that they're not in the movies. They're all over the news. They are in your face constantly. So I don't know why anyone's upset that they happen to not be in a movie. The second thing I was thinking about this, if you're a transgender actor out there, Do you really want to be known as the token trans in a movie? Because that's what your career will become. Oh, look at the trans in the movie. I wonder why they're there. The reason they're in the movie is to just shut up a bunch of silly drama queen activists. That's the reason they're going to be in the movie moving forward. 
I would not want to be, assuming I were an actor and wanted to be in films, I would not want to be there just to be the token queen in the film. I'm sure there are a lot of queens out there who would love that opportunity. I'm sure there are a lot of trans actors out there. They wouldn't give a crap if they were just there just to placate some activists in the community. Not me. I would not want to be the token in the film. I don't want to just be there just to make some other people happy. I want to earn it on my acting skills. Although, let's face it, folks, I could not act my way out of a paper bag. Ricky Martin, who cannot act. Now, he can sing, don't get me wrong, but Ricky Martin cannot act to save his life. But I tell you what, he is a Shakespearean actor compared to what I can do. I promise you, folks, I am not even going to try to do that. But you transgender folks out there, you transgender actors out there, and I've said it before on this podcast, breaking into acting is excruciatingly hard. I used to work in independent film in L.A. from about 2004, 2009. That is a brutally hard industry to break into. For anyone, for I don't care, you can have the cutest, most talented actor or actress in the world, and even they are going to have a brutally hard time making it in Hollywood. It doesn't come easy whether you're transgender or straight or gay or, I don't know, you got funky pronouns, what have you. I don't care who you are. It's a really tough road to travel to break into acting in Hollywood. These folks over at Pink News, those trans activists who are bitching and complaining about a lack of trans representation in movies. If it's so important for you folks to have that, why don't you pay for your own damn movie instead of complaining about other people not doing it? If it's so important to you, put your own damn movie together. See how easy that is to get that off the ground. Go ahead and do your own damn movie. You can have 50,000 trans people in the movie. You could do trans all day, every day in your film. And when it makes like $50,000 in the theater, that's all it's going to make if you're lucky enough to get distribution in the first place. Don't ever bitch and complain about no one else doing it. Because the reality is, and going back to my main point, it is all about the Benjamins to those fake liberals in Hollywood. From Queerty. Gay superfan claims he has evidence that will end Britney Spears' conservatorship. So yes, folks, we have officially jumped the shark with this story about Britney Spears. I just find this fascinating, folks, because this, how do I put this? I I would call it an obsession with celebrity lives. I just, to me, I just have zero interest in the lives of celebrities. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird about it, but... I don't really care about what Britney Spears' life is like. I mean, now that I've seen part of it, I kind of feel bad for her. It's a crappy situation. She's kind of had this, I don't know, weird upbringing in her life, and it's led to all sorts of issues. But I, to me, it's like I don't really care about what's going on. And the thing that's fascinating to me is about how everyone has to get into the story, has to inject themselves into the middle of the story. We had on our podcast last week, Madonna, that grandma at 60-something, she's on Instagram yapping. Yap, 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 yap. She's got to put herself in the middle of this stupid story. Like a lot of people have to put themselves right in the middle of this story. They have to make it partially about them. Oh, it's about Britney. Oh, it's about me. This stupid gay superfan. God, I'm reading this story and I'm like, this is kind of creepy 
and obsessive about how this kid is going on and on and on about Britney Spears and how he knows there's some sort of conspiracy because she is actually not crazy or what have you. I don't get it. I just, I, to me, I just, I don't get the fame part. I have no interest, folks, in ever being that level of famous. And I don't know why people want that. I guess it's some sort of insecurity. I don't know what drives that kind of behavior where people just, they want to be famous just so they're well-known. I have no interest in that here. And like I said earlier, I worked in independent film in L.A., lived in L.A. from 2004, 2005, up to 2009. And you see the celebrities out there, and I can't imagine going through life and being out in public and having people stare at you the whole time you're there. That, to me, would just drive me crazy. I can't imagine living my life like that, where you have always got a pair of eyes on you, and no matter what you do, no matter what you say in public, it's going to be recorded or watched and reported on because there's so many people who have invested so much of their lives into your life and what you're doing on a minute-by-minute basis. And I remember I was watching, this was back when Diana died, Princess Diana died, and I think that was back in the late 90s, and I was channel surfing one night, and I came across, and I'm, I really am embarrassed to actually admit this, but I was watching, I, well, I came across Larry King Live, and he was, he was talking about it, but he was talking about it in the sense of celebrity culture and celebrity stalkers. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I just stopped, and I was watching this, and I don't know who he had on the show at the time, but they were talking about celebrity and stalkers, and the guy said... And I'll never forget this. He said, if you're famous, if you are out there and you are known, it's not a question of if you have a stalker. The question is, how many stalkers do you have? And at that point, folks, I'm like, yeah, if I ever had a desire to be famous, the last thing I want to deal with in my life is having some weird stalker after me. (laughs) Does not appeal to me in the least. And you think about it. I remember once when I was in L.A., I saw, not the name drop, but I saw, I don't know which Spice Girl, Victoria Beckham, I don't know what her Spice Girl name is, but I saw her and a kid or two out at Century City Mall years ago, but she had like two bodyguards with her at the time. And I'm standing there going, who the hell wants to live their life like that, that they cannot go out without a bodyguard or two in tow? I can't imagine what that costs to have security around you 24-7 like that. I would hate to, now that I think about it, I would hate to be like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie. I guess they're divorced now or getting divorced, what have you. See, folks, I care so little for their personal lives, I don't even know if the divorce is final. The only reason I don't know at this point, folks, is because I have not seen a news headline that has announced it. So they may be married still. I don't know. I don't care. But can you imagine what they have to spend every year to keep their kids safe. That has got to be hundreds of thousands of dollars every year just to keep the weirdos away from their kids. So you folks who want to inject yourself into Britney Spears' life, you folks who want that sort of life for yourself, I mean, except for being in a conservatorship, but being world famous like that, you folks, have at it. I mean, (laughs) that is not for me, but hey, if that's what you want with your own life, More power to you. Have fun with that. Speaking of which, though, speaking of, like, obsessive fans, this one is from the New York Post. Shakira fans in a frenzy 
think she's coming out as lesbian. Now, folks, I like Shakira's music. I actually think she has a very good voice. I only think, though, that I have like one, maybe two of her songs on my iPhone, but I could care less about Shakira being a member of the tribe. Hey, Shakira, if you're out there listening to this podcast, welcome to the tribe, if that's you. But you know what? I could care less if she's a lesbian, if she's a lazy bisexual, if she's a pansexual, a snooty lazy bisexual, if she's a, I don't know, a non-binary folk with they, them pronouns or what have you. I could care less. But I guess some of you folks, she apparently, folks, she changed her Twitter photo and header a couple of days ago. And now it is this funky mix of pink and orange and white. And that apparently is supposed to represent the lesbian pride flag. I didn't know, folks, that lesbians even had their own flag. But some of you folks out there, not only do you know that, but you are watching Shakira's Twitter feed to notice that sort of thing coming from her. Again, Shakira, if you're a lesbian, I could care less, but welcome to the tribe. Welcome to our lovable Star Wars tribe of a community. (laughs) Honey, you do not know what you're getting yourself into. So I will not judge you if you go back to being straight. From the post-millennial, Robin DiAngelo's race-baiting sequel, a New York Times bestseller, despite flopping with only 3,500 copies sold. Folks, that has to do with Robin DiAngelo's latest book, and we've talked about that on this podcast a time or two, but the book is called Nice Racism, How Progressive White People Perpetrate Racial Harm. And that book basically reinforces my point about white liberals. Why are white liberals the way they are? White liberals love to carry on about being down for the struggle and about how they love the BIPOC folk. Oh, we love the BIPOC folk. We're so down for the struggle. But even the BIPOC folks out there, they are not going to be fooled by white liberals like they have in the past. Everyone can see, folks, that white liberals carry on the way they do, not because they are actually down for the struggle, but they carry on the way they do for two reasons. Number one, they carry on the way they do because they want to assuage their white guilt. They got tons of white guilt out there, folks. They feel so bad for being white. They just need to assuage that white guilt. And number two, folks, they do it to virtue signal to other white people. Other white liberals predominantly, but they'll do it to virtue signal to pretty much any white person out there. That is the other reason why they do that. And that's it, folks. I mean... Helping the BIPOC folk to the white liberal, I mean, that's a nice to have if they can do it. If that's a something that they can do in addition as they assuage their white guilt and their virtue signaling to other white people, hey, that's great. But they are not going to make that the central focus of why they carry on the way they do. And so when Robin D'Angelo writes a book and calls out white liberals for basically being the frauds that they are, it doesn't shock me, folks that the white liberals who bought her first book aren't going to buy the second one. Why would they buy a book that insults them and calls them out for being the frauds that they are? They're not, of course. They are absolutely not going to do that. So I am not surprised, like I said earlier, I am not surprised that this book is a raging flop. But I will say this, Ibram and Taneshi and all you other good woke folk out there who also write books, I would say... Don't laugh too hard about her book sales flopping. I know some of you woke BIPOC folk out there who are looking at Robin DiAngelo going, damn it, she is nothing but a white interloper getting in on our shtick. 
She is taking good book sales from us, the BIPOC folk. We need that money to keep buying more houses. Yes, Patrice Conkoolers, I am talking to you. But don't you laugh at her for her book flopping. Because that Ibram, that Taneshi Coates, and all you other good woke folk out there who write these books, that is bad karma and will lead to no good end for you. From The Guardian, legal threats to Donald Trump more serious than ever before, experts say. And to you good liberal folks over at The Guardian, you wish. (laughs) You wish that Donald Trump's legal issues were more serious than ever. You folks and the folks over at the New York Times and Jeff Bezos' pet newspaper, the Washington Post, and all the other good liberal newspapers, for two years, you girls carried on and on and on about Donald Trump and Russian collusion and how he was going to go to jail for colluding with Vladimir Putin to steal the 2016 election. And that was going to be it for Donald Trump. And he was going to get let off in handcuffs wearing a jumpsuit. And you girls carried on with that for about two years until the Mueller report came out and said, yeah, this is a big nothing burger, no collusion. And now you're hanging your hat on this latest one. Donald Trump's out of office and they're going to catch him and they're going to put him in jail for all these other crimes. Nothing is going to happen with this, of course. And you girls, you drama queens with your tempest in a teapot approach to Donald Trump, just going to carry on and on and on until this one goes away as well. And you wonder why trust in the media is in the basement. Why people trust used car salesmen and their congressperson more than they trust you in the media. It's because of stuff like this, where you just carry on and on and on, and nothing comes of it. Again. From BuzzFeed News, which, folks, to me, is as big an oxymoron as you can get. Disney adults don't care if you hate them. They're having fun anyway. And I don't know why I bother to read a BuzzFeed News article, folks. Those woke idiots over there, God, bless their hearts. I mean, they are a bunch of hysterical millennial Gen Z kids carrying on writing stupid garbage about Disney adults. Adults that go to Disney World because they have a hard time adulting. Bless your hearts, too, over there if that makes you happy. And it kind of reminds me, White Boy Malcolm X, about the, uh, the fat positive crowd. And folks, we were talking about that the other week because Pinterest was pulling down all their weight loss ads. And I theorized it was because the fat positive crowd and queens were getting butthurt about those ads because they were shaming them for being fat or gay fat or what have you. But these Disney adults remind me of the fat positive crowd. And what did I say about the fat positive crowd? I said that they were thin-skinned and insecure. And, you know, I think that these Disney adults are the same way. They're like, well, I like going to Disney World, and I don't care what you think. Well, if you really didn't care about what people thought, why are they actually writing an article about all these dopey millennial Gen Z kids who like to go to Disneyland and play kid, and they don't care about what people think? If you really didn't care what people thought, You wouldn't have to have an article that said, you know what, we don't care that people are making fun of us for not adulting and going to Disney World all the time. If you're that defensive about going to Disneyland all the time, that's on you. That's not on everyone else who happens to think, you know what, they probably do need to grow up a little bit. 
But it just goes to the typical narrative of the millennial who doesn't want to adult or just doesn't adult well. It goes to that. And now you've got the millennials who are being mocked for wanting to go to Disneyland and not adult. And they're getting all defiant and butthurt that people are noticing that they're carrying on like they do. Okay, princess or prince or a non-binary member of the royal family. If going to Disneyland makes you happy, it makes you feel like a kid again, what have you, whatever. I don't really care if that floats your boat, if that's how you want to have fun. Okay, then. I mean, you all can just skip the articles about how you don't care what people think about you. Because let's face it, you care what people think about you. You got to let that part go, and then you can have fun at Disneyland. From Breitbart, Queen Kamala's stepdaughter, Ella Emhoff, makes her high-fashion runway debut in Paris. Yes, folks, Queen Kamala's stepdaughter got to walk for Balenciaga. I think that's how you pronounce that, but she got to be on a runway in Paris. And if you've seen a picture of Queen Kamala's stepdaughter, how would I put this, White Boy Malcolm X? Without being too catty about this. Well, I will say this, folks. Remember back, for you folks who are old enough to do so, but remember back in, I think it was the 90s, maybe the 2000s, Calvin Klein went through this phase where he was using these sort of, God, how do I describe them? He would use these like, I hate to say it, but heroin addicts. They just look like this kind of drawn, pasty, rail thin, you know, Not your typical male or female model. They weren't very attractive in the first place, but they just looked emaciated. They really did to me. They look like heroin addicts or meth addicts or what have you, where they just, they kind of had that junky look to them. And that was what Calvin Klein was doing. He wasn't using your typical attractive male or female models. He was using these kind of, I would not call them ugly, but they just, I don't know. They just were not appealing to me whatsoever. And she's kind of like that in a sense. She doesn't look like your typical female model. In fact, I would say, I would say that she, she looks like she would be better suited. She would look like she is more at home or she would be more at home if she were, say, I don't know, in the middle of a riot screaming at a BIPOC police officer. That's how I kind of see her because Ella Emhoff looks to me like your typical hysterical millennial Gen Z white chick. And what do those chicks like to do? They, folks, they like to go into the inner city to loot, riot, burn, have a grand gale time before hauling their lily white asses back to the suburbs. And that's what she looks like to me, a typical liberal chick who goes into the inner city and screams at BIPOC police officers about how they are stormtroopers oppressing the BIPOC folk. That's what she kind of looks like to me. But I guess Balenciaga and all those other good woke folk doing the Paris fashion shows. I think they thought that would buy them some good graces with Queen Kamala, but we'll see, folks, if that helps them with, I don't even know what the hell they would get out of Queen Kamala by putting her stepdaughter in one of those stupid shows, but I guess they're looking for something, and I'm sure that Queen Kamala will help them when they they have their ask. From Boston.com, Boston Pride announces closing amid controversy over inclusion. And what did I tell you, folks? We had that story a couple of months ago 
during Pride, and it was this stupid uh, BIPOC transgender chick. She was yapping on, yap, 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 about how there was no inclusion. They did not have good representation for BIPOC transgender folks in Boston Pride. And I was saying at the time, you do not want to put those people in charge because they're going to take a really fun, gay old time where the queens just like to go and party. Let's face it, folks. That is what Pride is for most people, an excuse to party. But if they ever got in charge, that fun stops immediately. And she was carrying on about how they needed more trans BIPOC representation with Pride. And she just happened to be, folks, a BIPOC transgender person, which at the time I said, well, that's pretty convenient that she's kvetching on about a lack of BIPOC transgender representation, and she just happens to be both BIPOC and transgender. She could just step in and go, hey, I can run this thing. And it looks like, folks, it looks like she's about to get her wish. I mean, I figured the queens would eventually cave to some extent, but I never thought that those girls would give up power, would give up Boston Pride, controlling Boston Pride, that easily. They were just like, hey, we're wiping our hands of it. You BIPOC, you angry BIPOC transgenders, you want the power to run everything? Have at it. But I tell you what, just you wait, folks, until Pride next year when you've got an angry BIPOC transgender running the show. I mean, let's face it, BIPOC folks, they're pretty angry already. Transgender folks, those transgender activists, they're pretty angry as well. You put that together, you've got double the angry in just one person. And she's just going to run that thing like a funeral procession. I was joking about, uh, I was talking about the Game of Thrones, the walk of shame, where they were ringing the bells. Shame, shame, shame. And that's what she's going to do for gay pride. It's not going to be this grand gay celebration, walking down the street and going and having a party. She's not going to do that. Those people are not inclined to have fun, especially if a bunch of white people are having fun. She's just going to run that thing like any good social justice warrior would. She's just going to suck the fun out of anything and everything that used to be fun about gay pride. So you white queens out there who surrender to this angry BIPOC transgender chick, you queens have fun if you're lucky. You have fun at pride. Next year. Okay, now that our news headlines are over, let's go ahead and jump into our news quick hits. And this first one, we're just going to go ahead and stay in Boston. This next one is also from Boston.com. Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas folks, and Ayanna Presley urge Baker administration to reconsider change to COVID-19 hospitalization data reporting. So we have folks, we have Pocahontas and a member of the squad getting together to urge the Baker administration, which means you better damn well do it, or we're just going to sit up here and bitch and moan and complain until you do. So let's find out more. Here are some poll quotes. Senator Pocahontas and Representative Ayanna Presley are urging Governor Charlie Baker's administration to reconsider the state's recent move to stop reporting demographic data on COVID-19 hospitalizations, calling the metric a critical part of ensuring an equitable recovery from the pandemic. Governor Baker must reverse course, Presley told Boston.com in a statement. In a separate statement, Pocahontas, because let's face it, folks, she is not going to share the stage too much 
with some low-level representative when she is a member of the U.S. Senate. She is a member of the U.S. House of Lords. In a separate statement, Pocahontas also pressed the Baker administration to continue to report COVID hospitalization data broken down by age, race, and sex. So we folks have these two clowns. We've got Pocahontas and we've got a member of the squad wanting equity in COVID. And how do they want to track equity in COVID? They want Governor Charlie Baker to keep reporting the number of BIPOC folk versus the number of white people, whitey out there. They want to know how many of them got the COVID. And I don't know, folks, I don't know what they're going to do if the BIPOC folk have more COVID than whitey. I mean, we could argue, folks, that the BIPOC folk aren't big fans of the COVID vaccine. We have reported on this podcast several times where the BIPOC folk were like, uh, no, whitey can go first because all those good white liberals up here in Massachusetts, which again, folks, the BIPOC folk just don't trust that much anymore. Those good white liberals up here were like, oh, we love the BIPOC folk. We'll give them the vaccine first. Those good white liberals wanted to get to the back of the COVID vaccine bus. But those BIPOC folks, they were not going to have that. And it could be, folks, that they have higher COVID numbers because they are not getting the vaccines in the numbers that Whitey are getting. So I don't know how Pocahontas and Ayanna Presley of the squad, I don't know how they are going to enforce equitable recovery if the BIPOC folk aren't getting the shots like Whitey is getting the shots. I don't know, folks, if they are going to start advocating that Whitey doesn't get the vaccine anymore until the BIPOC numbers get up there. That, that could be one option for them to do. Whitey, no more vaccine until the BIPOC folk, they get their vaccines. Even though, folks, even though the BIPOC folk are like, eh, not so much on those vaccines. We don't trust white liberals. That is one option for Pocahontas and Ayanna Presley. Or, or folks, they could just start injecting Whitey with COVID. They could start giving Whitey the COVID to get those numbers up because, folks, Let's face it, we want equity in COVID recovery. So if Whitey is recovering from the COVID faster than the BIPOC folk, the only way to make that equitable is to give Whitey COVID. I would go around to white neighborhoods and just sneak up on Whitey and jab him with the COVID. I would make it the Delta variant on top of that. I would just sneak up on Whitey and go jab. And Whitey would be like, ah, what'd you just do? I'd be like, you got the COVID. And they'd be like, well, why'd you give me the COVID? And you could be like, Equity, my friend, equity. And then you just run off until you can find another whitey and you can jab them as well. So those are, to me anyway, those are the only two options that Pocahontas and Ayanna Presley are pushing. Either stop giving whitey the vaccine or start jabbing whitey with the Delta variant to get those infection numbers up so that we can have, folks, we can have more equity in COVID numbers. Don't you just love equity, folks? And what have I said about equity and the woke folk out there? Equity to the woke folk, that is about making everyone equally miserable. And that is what they want here. That is what Pocahontas and Ayanna Presley want as well. If the BIPOC folk are going to suffer through COVID, Whitey is also going to have to suffer. Our next story, actually, folks, we have two back-to-back queerty stories. And I usually don't do that, although... I shouldn't say that because we just had back-to-back Boston.com stories, but these two are kind of tied together, so I'm just going to go ahead and do them back-to-back. 
This first one, HIV positive man shares joy at taking his last HIV medication pill. No more pills for HIV. Uh Uh-oh, let's find out more. Here are some pull quotes. An advocate for those living with HIV has shared his happiness at being able to stop having to take a daily pill to treat his HIV. Earlier this year, the FDA approved the first injectable treatment for the virus. Morris Singleton's physician is switching him from daily pills to these monthly injections. This is a development that many of those living with HIV might not have imagined would ever come. And we have talked about that on this podcast several times. Now, I am an old queen. I am 51 years old. Crap, I'm going to be 52 in a couple of months. But I am an old queen. And I am old enough, folks, to remember when HIV was a death sentence. That was it. You got it. You were pretty much gone. Those were the days when I was first coming out of the closet. I think I came out in 1991. No, that is exactly when I came out. I came out at 21. So yes, 1991 is when I came roaring out of that closet. I was like, hello, I'm Miller Frost. I'm a big old queen. Now, of course, everyone at the time was like, yeah, Miller, we knew. No big surprise there. But back in the day, folks, back in those days, you catch HIV, it was not good. And we have evolved from that of not having anything. And folks, I've had a couple of friends who have had HIV Some of them are still alive. Some of them passed away because they had it before any of the medications really worked. But I remember, folks, I had a very good friend of mine. He had to do like, I think it was three pills a day, every day or multiple times a day. It was this massive pill regimen to keep the viral load down. And that was it for a while. And then over time, it eventually evolved to this pill a day thing we have now. So HIV nowadays, for most people, is, I would say, a minor inconvenience, right? You get HIV, oops, I'll just take the pill a day. That's the downside of contracting HIV these days for most people. I actually knew someone years ago who the medications were worse than the illness, and he passed away of AIDS because the medications, now this was back in the 90s, but for most people, I would say these days, it's like, uh, a pill a day. That's it. That's all I have to do for contracting HIV. That's it. And we've seen, I would say over the last 30, 40 years, we've seen this, we went from this massive, you know, education thing where it was like, you know, bars had condoms, massive fishbowls of condoms at the doors, trying to educate people, trying to drive behavioral changes in people, trying to get those infection rates down to as low as they can get them, all things considered. But as HIV has gone from a death sentence to more of a a chronic illness that needs to be maintained, a manageable chronic condition where all you have to do is take a pill a day, the vigilance about not getting HIV, I would say, has waned significantly. And you can see that, folks, in the articles that talk about the spike in infection rates for other venereal diseases, the increase in syphilis rates, gonorrhea, chlamydia, on and on and on and on. Those rates are going up because you've got PrEP now where people can take PrEP and chances are, even if they're not using protection, chances are they're not going to catch HIV even if they're exposed to it. But yet they're catching all sorts of other things and so you can see where the promiscuity is just exploding out there and people are just letting their guard down because, eh, 
I'm going to take prep. And hey, if I wind up getting it, it's just a pill a day. But it's not even that now. It's a monthly shot. You just have to go in, take your shot, and you're done. So what do you think is going to happen now if you thought that chlamydia and gonorrhea and syphilis rates were going through the roof before? When you go from a pill a day to a shot a month, what do you think is going to happen to those infection rates for the other venereal diseases? I'll tell you what, folks. They are not going to go down. No. They are going to spike even higher now that HIV is a shot a month. It's not even a pill a day. Which leads us, folks, which leads us to our next story. And it's also from Query. And how is this headline? Gay men already have begun their hot vac summer of hookups. Are you prepared? So those queens, folks, those queens out there who did not get to hook up much last year, they are ready to have fun. And here's some pull quotes with that. As the vaccine program continues to be rolled out, and even blue states lift their lockdown restrictions, there's plenty of talk about the hot vac summer in which gay men release their pent-up sexual energies in an orgy of hookups. In an interview with Queerty's sister site, Gay Cities, podcaster Carrie James asked what he and his friends would do once restrictions were lifted, put it this way. Party like an effing animal for two or three days straight. And folks, he did not just say effing, when he was talking about partying like an effing animal for two or three days straight. And I don't know what to say to that. That hasn't already been said, but I tell you what, I have no doubt, folks, that these are the same queens who yap on about this, yap, 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 about hooking up and partying and having sex and doing all sorts of things for two and three days straight. These are the same queens who get really, really, really butthurt if someone were to make a comment about how the gay community out there is nothing more than just drug-fueled and promiscuous and how queens love to just sleep around. They do not like people saying that about those queens out there who do it. How dare you say that about us? We are not all promiscuous and drug crazy. I'm sorry, folks, but how do you stay up for two and three days straight partying? Like these circuit parties. They go to circuit parties. My ex would do that. He would go to these circuit parties and they would literally party folks for two and three days straight. How are they doing that? And don't say, well, they must drink a lot of coffee. No, that is not what is going on. I'm going to tell you that right now, folks. You are naive if you think they're just doing caffeine shots or what have you. No, they are doing party drugs. Crystal meth. That will keep you up for a couple days. Ecstasy. I don't know what else is out there, folks, but That is what they're doing. They're going out. They're taking drugs, getting drunk, what have you. And they're out there and they are hooking up and they are doing all sorts of weird stuff out there. You queens out there, you have fun with that. Have fun with your drug-fueled three-day orgy parties. Have fun getting your rocks off or what have you. You folks can look forward to a penicillin shot to take care of most things. And now, if you screw up too badly and happen to catch HIV, you only have to deal with a shot a month for that. So have fun and enjoy yourself if that's the lifestyle you want to have. Okay, folks, now that our news quick hits are over, and White Boy Malcolm X, this is a special surprise for you, sir. Normally, folks, normally we do gay at the front, smoking gun at the back, maybe a woke story or two in the middle, but no, not today. 
We're jumping right to the smoking gun. And why are we going right to the smoking gun? Well, folks, this story, I don't know. I think, folks, that it may be a little bit confusing for you or for me or for White Boy Malcolm X. We may, folks, we may have to do a reenactment of this story. And that, folks, that can take some time. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. So this podcast is not two hours. Plus, I don't know. I feel like my voice is about to go. So let's go ahead and we just want to go ahead and jump into a story before I completely lose my voice. So here's this headline. Florida man 32 nabbed after cops spot him swinging, stomping stolen alligator at 3.20 a.m. Even by Florida's loose standards, And you can say that again, you folks over at the Smoking Gun. A guy swinging a stolen alligator around by its tail at 3.20 a.m. in an attempt at teaching it a lesson is truly bizarre. According to police, William Hodge, a 32-year-old fisherman, was arrested early today after officers spotted him trying to fling the purloined alligator atop a building in Daytona Beach Shores. When Hodge's attempt to launch the alligator failed, Hodge slammed the reptile to the ground and stomped on it, according to a charging affidavit. When cops approached Hodge, he raised his hands up as if he were giving up and he was taken into custody. Asked what he was doing when throwing the alligator in the air, Hodge reportedly replied that he was teaching it a lesson. Investigators say Hodge removed the alligator from an enclosure at Congo River Golf and Exploration, a miniature golf course that offers patrons the opportunity to feed and hold alligators. The court affidavit does not specify the size and weight of the alligator Hodge is alleged to have swiped. The alligator was subsequently turned over to Congo River's general manager, who valued the stolen goods at $300. Hodge was charged with animal cruelty, possession and injury of an alligator, unarmed burglary, theft, and criminal mischief. No doubt, folks, all misdemeanors. He is being held in the Volusia County Jail in lieu of $4,500 bond. White Boy Malcolm X. Sir, I can already see the confusion on your face about this story. You've got William Hodge, this guy, a 32-year-old fisherman. He stole an alligator, and he is going to punish that thing, teach it a lesson by throwing it up on a roof for some reason. And I'm sure you folks out there are also thinking, What the hell is going on with this story? Miller, please, sir, please, can you explain this story to us in a way that makes sense? Why William Hodge seemed to go off the rails when it comes to this alligator that he's out to punish. And of course, folks, of course, I will do that for you. I will do that for white boy Malcolm X. And of course, I'll do that for myself because I also want to make sure that I understand this story in its totality. And as you folks know, sometimes I just need to kind of walk through it myself, try to explain it to myself. And in the process, I managed to explain it to White Boy Malcolm X and explain it to you folks as well. And hopefully before my voice finally gives out. So once upon a time, folks, you had William Hodge. Who is William Hodge? He is a 32-year-old fisherman in Florida. And this story... Like quite a few of our smoking gun stories, folks, this story did not start on the night that William Hodge was arrested. No, this story, folks, this story goes back farther. Something precipitated 
him stealing this alligator and wanting to teach it a lesson. Something triggered William Hodge to basically, folks, go off the deep end and attack this alligator and try to punish it. There was some bad blood between this alligator and William Hodge, folks, that did not start on the night that he abducted this alligator. No, that bad blood did not start that night. So I think, folks, like a lot of stories do that we discuss here on the Miller Frost Show, especially out of Florida, folks, this story started with a deliciously chilled glass, maybe two or three, maybe the whole damn bottle of deliciously chilled white Zinfandel, two ice cubes. I think, folks, I think that William Hodge was enjoying that glass or two or three or the whole bottle. And I think, folks, I think after a couple of those, I think that he had it in his mind that he wanted to play miniature golf. Now, in Daytona Beach Shores, where do you go to play miniature golf? You go, folks, of course, you go to the Congo River Golf and Exploration. That is where people in Daytona Beach Shores go for miniature golf. And as an added bonus, when you go to the Congo River Golf and Exploration, they do not have just miniature golf. No, you can also pet and feed alligators. Miniature golf, alligators. What is more Floridian than that? Probably not a whole lot. So I imagine that William Hodge, again folks, after having at least one, but probably the entire bottle of deliciously chilled white Zinfandel, two ice cubes, he wanted to go down and pet the alligators and play miniature golf. So off he goes to do that. I suspect, folks, I suspect that William Hodge, he is a fisherman after all. I suspect he considers himself a bit of a fish whisperer. I think that he talks to the fish. I think he will talk to anything that's in the water, alligators included. And yes, we know between you and me, folks, and White Boy Malcolm X, we know that an alligator is not a fish. But William Hodge, I'm not so sure he understands that difference. So off he goes to the Congo River Golf and Exploration. Off he goes, plays a little miniature golf, and then it's time to whisper to the alligators. And I can see this, folks. I can see William Hodge getting the alligator, feeding the alligator, and whispering. Of course, whispering to the alligator. Probably going, hi, alligator. I'm William Hodge, the fish whisperer. How are you doing today? Alligator's probably just looking at him, not saying too much. It's an alligator. What's it going to say? I don't know, folks. Maybe William hears them talk back. Maybe William hears the alligator say, oh, I'm just hanging out, William. You know, I'm an alligator. It's Florida. What do I do? Hang out, get petted, fed, watch you folks play the miniature golf. It's a good life. I can't complain. William, though, folks, William is just not, I can see this, William is just not content with having a normal conversation with an alligator. It's probably sticking in his mind the argument that is on the minds of a lot of Floridians these days that take up a lot of debate time between Floridians. Tom Brady's ass, does it look better in a New England Patriots uniform or does it look better in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform? Let's face it, folks. Floridians are obsessed with that debate. They can't help themselves, as I'm sure you know. So you've got William Hodge feeding and cuddling with an alligator. Juiced up, folks on a couple of deliciously chilled glasses of white Zinfandel, two ice cubes. And he just can't, folks, he just can't enjoy the moment with the alligator 
whispering to the alligator, having a grand gale time with the alligator, what have you. No. William Hodge, folks, he had to bring up that topic of debate with the alligator. So he asked the alligator, alligator, where do you think Tom Brady's ass looked better? New England Patriots uniform or Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform? Folks, I don't know how that alligator responded to him, how that alligator whispered back to the fish whisperer. I don't know what it said. I don't know what it didn't say. Maybe it said, I think Tom Brady's ass looks better in a New England Patriots uniform, which probably would set a Floridian like William Hodge off completely. Maybe, folks, maybe the alligator, it just whispered back, meh, I don't really care. That's another thing you shouldn't say to a Floridian that will set a Floridian off is if you are completely indifferent to where Tom Brady's ass looks best, a New England Patriots uniform or a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. Indifference to most Floridians is worse than picking New England Patriots. Maybe, maybe the alligator, being an alligator, it doesn't speak. Maybe it just sat there and didn't say anything. Maybe it just remained silent, which to William Hodge was like indifference. Horrible. Not a way to go either. But in any case, folks, that I think was the root of the bad blood between William Hodge and that alligator. Tom Brady's ass and where it looked best. I'm sure, folks, that William Hodge would have been perfectly content to have that argument then and there, but I'm sure it started to get heated, and those poor beleaguered folks over at the Congo River Golf and Exploration, I'm sure they were like, ah, crap, it's that weirdo fish whisperer again, William Hodge. Let's get him out of here. So they interrupted his argument with the alligator, but William Hodge, I can see this, folks, when they took that alligator from him, He jabbed his finger in that alligator's face. He wasn't even afraid of that alligator biting his finger off. He's like, this is not done between us, you and me. We're going to take this up at another time. To the folks over at the Congo River Golf and Exploration, they're thinking, ah, crap, this loser is going to come back, play more golf, argue with another alligator. But William, folks, that is not what he had in mind. So later that evening, folks, after he yet again had a couple more glasses of deliciously chilled white Zinfandel, two ice cubes. Let's face it, folks, for a Floridian, one bottle is just not enough. If you're going to have one, go big or go home, have at least two. So William, folks, now that he is juiced up over another bottle of deliciously chilled white Zinfandel, two ice cubes, he goes over to the Congo River Golf and Exploration. He goes over there in the middle of the night, and he takes that alligator. He's like, You and me, buddy, we got to finish this thing. Takes that alligator and goes down the street. He's not going to settle it there in front of the other alligators. He wants some privacy when he has a talk with this alligator. So they're down the street from the Congo River Golf and Exploration. William takes that alligator off the property. And they're down there, down the street, arguing about whether Tom Brady's ass looks better in a New England Patriots uniform or a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. And whatever was said between the two folks, look, I was not there. We are just guessing. But whatever was said between the two folks, it was not a better conversation than what they had earlier that day. No, William was still not happy with the alligator's answer, whether the alligator said nothing or the alligator said, I think Tom Brady's ass looks better in a New England Patriots uniform, not a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. Either way, folks, either way, William was not happy. William was pissed off and William's was going to teach that alligator a lesson. So he stuck his finger in that alligator's face again. He said, you know what? 
I am going to teach you a lesson. I am going to throw you up on that roof. Why William thought that throwing an alligator up on a building roof was teaching him a lesson? Folks, that is another great example of Floridian logic. I can't explain it. I'm sure that most sane Floridians can't explain it. But that, to William, was a logical course of action. Punish the alligator by throwing it up on a roof. So he takes the alligator by the tail, and he is swinging that thing and swinging that thing and swinging that thing, and he goes and launches it, and the alligator just falls on the cement. Bam! Hits the cement. William's like, ugh, damn it, I can't throw to save my life. At the same time he's doing this, folks, poor Popo is just tooling around Daytona Beach shores. And why do I say poor Popo? Folks, you try being Popo in Florida. Their lives, folks, on duty are going from human train wreck to human train wreck to human train wreck to human dumpster fire to human dumpster fire back to human train wreck on and on and on and on. That is what their lives are like on duty. Dealing with Floridians and their Floridian logic. So these poor Popo, they're going around Daytona Beach shores and they are enjoying a very, very, very brief respite between one human train wreck and the next. There are enough crazy folks in Florida that they have action 24-7, don't get me wrong, but most of them, by 3.20 in the morning, are passed out or otherwise asleep, so it's a little bit slower for them. They can take a breather. (gasps) Off to the next one. Something like that. So they're out there patrolling Daytona Beach shores, and they come across folks, they're driving around, and they spy some weirdo and an alligator having an argument. And they're like, what the heck is going on with that? Even for Florida, folks, a guy arguing with an alligator, it's a little off. Just a little, but enough for them to stop the patrol car and watch. So those Popo are watching these two go at it. And one turns to the other and goes, should we do something? The other one's like, um, let's just take a break. My feet are tired. Let's just see what's going on here. We'll step in if we have to. And so the next thing they see, folks, after watching William Hodge and this alligator argue for quite some time, is that William grabs the alligator by the tail and starts to twirl it around, trying to hurl it away. And they're like, what the hell is going on with that? That's a little weird, even for Florida. And then William lets the alligator go, and it just lands with a big thud on the sidewalk. So the one police officer turns to the other one and is like, that poor kid, man, I wish I had my phone out to video record that weak throw. That would have been kind of funny on TikTok. And right as Popo is finishing up saying that, saying that William attempting to throw that alligator would be a really, really, really funny video up on TikTok for all those dopey millennial Gen Z kids to watch. Right as he finishes saying that, folks, William starts to stomp on the alligator and yelling at it. And Popo's like, ah, crap, he's torturing the damn thing now. We got to do something. So Popo, folks, Popo, beleaguered Popo and Daytona Beach Shores, they've got to get out of their cars. Their feet are already sore from chasing a bunch of idiots down that day. They have to walk over there and deal with William stomping on an alligator. They're not sure what kind of crazy they're going to have to deal with on this one. It's Florida, folks. There's going to be a certain level of crazy involved. They're just not sure which. They're just not sure how much or how bad it's going to be. So they go over there and they're like, hey, you stomping on the alligator. And William, folks, William turns around 
And he just raises his hands up. I give up. I give up. That's what his body language was telling Popo. One turns to the other and was like, damn, if only half of them gave up this easily, my life would be nirvana if that were the case. I mean, William surrendered, folks, in a very non-Floridian way. Hands were just up in the air. There's Popo. Guilty. Here are my hands. Done. Popo, though, you know, it is Florida. They're just not sure how to deal with this. Is this a trap? Is this guy, he's a complete psycho, and he's going to lose his crap, and we think he's going to surrender. So they're like, sir, sir, what is going on with that alligator? What were you trying to do? William's like, well, I was trying to throw it up on that roof. They didn't want to argue that point, folks. Popo, they weren't even going to ask why. They knew, folks, that that was going to lead down a Floridian logic wormhole that they didn't want to touch. They had been dealing with that all day. They didn't need that again. They could leave that for the investigators or the judge. Not their business. They didn't care. Okay, sir, they said. They accepted that as fact, right? Okay, sir. Okay. William, though, William wanted to explain why. Popo wasn't touching it. He didn't know why, but he wanted to explain himself. He had good cause to punish that alligator. Popo, he said. Popo, the reason why I was doing it, Popo's like, sir, we don't need to know. All good. We're already going to bust you. We don't need to know why. William was like, though, William wanted to explain why he was doing what he was doing, even if Popo didn't want to hear. So he's like, Popo, Popo, let me just explain. Popo was like, sir, we really, honestly, seriously, we don't need to hear this. William, William wanted to explain, folks, so he was just not going to listen to Popo at that point. He had to explain himself. He had to explain why he was doing what he was doing. Popo, he said, the only reason I was trying to throw that alligator up on that roof. And folks, you should have heard the moans from those Popo thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus Christmas, here we go again. More Floridian logic. William was like, Popo, the only reason I was doing that was to teach that alligator a lesson. Now, folks, it was 3.20 in the morning. One of those Popo was really, really, really tired. He made a very stupid mistake at that point. He said, why? Why did you want to teach it a lesson? Of course, the other Popo shot him a really, really, really nasty look for opening his mouth like that. William, though, that was a huge opening for him, and he was going to take it. Officers, Popo, the reason I was teaching this alligator a lesson was because he was being disrespectful about Tom Brady's ass in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. This stupid alligator did not agree that Tom Brady's ass looked best in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. Popo, of course, were not strangers to this argument. They have been dealing with this argument every day for quite some time now, ever since it surfaced in Floridian discussions. But they were not going to deal with it here. They just wanted to get this idiot locked up. They just wanted to get that alligator wherever the hell it came from. So Popo looked at William and said, Sir, you are under arrest for animal cruelty, possession and injury of an alligator, unarmed burglary, theft, and criminal mischief. But don't worry, it's probably a misdemeanor. It is Florida after all. So William goes to jail. The alligator goes back to his home at the Congo River Golf and Exploration. End of story. So White Boy Malcolm X. Did I explain that correctly, sir? Does that story now make sense to you? Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> I will take that because, let's face it, folks, I think this podcast has gone on long enough, and my voice 
is about to die off. So on that note, since I cannot top this 32-year-old fisherman, William Hodge, stealing and abusing an alligator over Tom Brady's ass in a football uniform, since I cannot top that, it is time to plug-pull this podcast. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us on this Sunday podcast of The Miller Frost Show. I am your host, Miller Frost, joined, as always, by my fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. Have a great rest of your weekend, a great start to your week, and we will see you back here in a couple of days. In the meantime, take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.